this morning's gospel passage uh, contains some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. But I'm going to preach from just one word. There are 204 words in this passage, but I'm narrowing it down to just one word. That's not because I'm being monumentally lazy. It's one word that Jesus used that's only four letters long, yet Jesus uses it over and over. It defines the strength of what Jesus has to say. It's hugely significant in this passage, and it's hugely significant in your life and in my life. It's the word must. It's a word we hear often. Marketers sell us must-have items. Hamilton is the must-see musical of the moment. You must tax your car, you must tidy your room, you must brush your teeth, you must, you must, you must. No quibbling, no negotiation. Must is essential. Yet the first must in this passage is not Jesus telling his followers what they have to do, but it's saying what he has to do. Jesus tells his followers that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Mark writes that in the next verse that Jesus spoke plainly about these things, and so we must speak plainly about them too. Jesus must die. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He is a man on a mission. And just before this passage, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ. If Jesus was just a a good moral teacher, a philosopher, a spiritual guru, then why does he have to die? Yet he is the anointed one, the Messiah. And, And for the first time in history, the Jewish people are hearing that the prophecies about the suffering servant and the Messiah are actually one and the same person. Prophecies foretold that he would be despised and rejected, such as in Isaiah 53. He must die because the wages of sin, of all the bad stuff, is death. And God is a God of love. And if his love means anything, it means that he doesn't just turn a blind eye to all the ways that we fall short, all the ways that we cause damage to ourselves and to those around us. No sin is too small to need forgiveness. And no sin is too great to be forgiven. The price has to be paid, either by the perpetrator or by the one forgiving. It costs. And so Jesus must die. His death is necessary for your life and for my life. And he must rise again risen to prove that he holds the keys to eternal life, that he has made a way through death. Why must all this happen? Love. The theologian William Vanstone wrote a book with a chapter entitled The Phenomenology of Love. He wrote that there's, there's false love and there's true love. In false love, the aim is to use the other person to meet your needs, to fulfill your happiness. Your love is conditional. You give it as long as the person is affirming you and meeting your needs. And it's, it's non-vulnerable. You can hold back your love so you can cut your losses. 
but in true love. The aim is to spend yourself and use yourself for the happiness of the other, because your joy is their joy. It's unconditional. You give that love, regardless of whether the other person is meeting your needs. And it's, it's radically vulnerable. You hold nothing back. You recklessly give yourself away. And this is the love that God has for each one of us. Why did God create us and later redeem us at great cost, even though he doesn't need us? He did it because he loves us. His love is perfect love, radically vulnerable love. And Jesus here is saying that the only way that I can forgive the sins of the human race is to suffer. Either you will have to pay the penalty for sin, or I will. So Jesus must die. But then there's another must. Jesus says that those who would come after him must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. There's a danger in trying to water down the necessity of what Jesus did on the cross. But there's also a danger in trying to minimize what we have to do as well. We scoot over suffering. I was once packing up from a a church event, and there was a large white cross. And that cross was wrapped in bubble wrap. And and somebody took a photo of me, and I sort of posted it online and sort of had the caption, taking up my cross. And somebody was very quick to point out that the cross doesn't come in bubble wrap, does it? Carrying a cross isn't just carrying burdens. It isn't just turning away from our sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the only reason you take up a cross is to die on it. And so while it's true that Jesus died in order that we might live, it's also true that Jesus died in order that we might die too. That we might follow in his path and die to ourselves. The world says that death comes after life. But Jesus says that life comes after death. We've recently been hearing from Jago on life to the full. And this is what Jesus comes to offer us. It's what I want for my life. It's what I imagine you want for your life too. And if our fears are ultimately rooted in a fear of death, what's the worst that can happen to us? Death will only put you into the arms of Jesus and make you all that you hoped to be. I was so moved on, um, on Wednesday to hear of the death of the evangelist Billy Graham. And as the notification popped up on my screen, I was overcome with emotion. And it wasn't sadness, but it was joy. I mean, can you imagine Billy Graham and Jesus meeting face to face? That is the hope that awaits us, unrelenting hope. Do you know this hope? Do you know this hope deep down in your soul? When death loses its sting, when death no longer has power over you because of what Jesus did on the cross, then you and I will live a life not of fear, but of love. And when Jesus talks about losing your life in order to save it, He's using the word psyche, 
where we get the word psychology from. Your identity, your personality, yourself, what, what makes you distinct? And just as we've learned about Jesus' identity earlier in the passage, we also learn about our identity. And Jesus is saying, don't build your identity on worldly things. I was so sad the other day to read um, a, a major profile interview in a, in a weekend paper about a musician. And, and the whole thrust of the article, the headline, the whole point of the article was that this is a, a person who, come rain, hail, or shine, keeps up the show. They always put on a brave face, no matter what. And that must be so exhausting. But we do this in our lives too, don't we? Whether it's family, relationships, career, money, reputation, status. We might not be on a literal stage, but these things are performance-based. They're achievement-driven. And those things can fall apart so quickly. Don't base your life on these things. But it's also not a case of saying, I'm a good person who goes to church every week. That's just shifting from one performance-based identity to another. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need a radical new way. Base your identity on me and the gospel. Not an abstract God. We begin with Jesus' identity, and this is the Jesus who lost his identity so we could have one. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so your life and my life is no longer based on whether somebody loves you, whether you've lost weight, whether your bank account is getting bigger. You're free. The old approach to identity is gone. Our world is built on self-preservation, on finding ourselves. But you only become fully you when you surrender to Jesus. I'm most like Jesus. I'm most like Jamie, and I'm most like Jesus when Jesus is in the driving seat. At the end of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you've not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Lent is not about self-preservation. It's not even about self-improvement. It's about opening up yourself to an eternal vision for your life and staking everything on that. Putting your trust in Jesus that he has a greater purpose for your life than what you can see in front of you. God's concerns are greater than our concerns. So what is the point of, of gaining the world if we lose our soul? The real danger in life is not failure, but it's succeeding at things that don't really matter. In this morning's Bible in one year, uh, they look at, at this particular passage, which is very convenient. And um, the actor Jim Carrey said this. 
I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. The pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness will in and of itself ruin you. So will following Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be ruined, I want to be ruined for something that will last, for for something that can't be taken away from me. Eternal life with Jesus and the gospel of his grace for those around me that need it just as much as I do. Jesus says must. Death isn't optional. Only what it means for us. You and I must make a choice. Do not put off choosing the way of the cross and choosing the way of Jesus this Lent. Amen.